Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do once again look to you to send your spirit to be the great teacher of your word this morning. We may be able to read it. We may be even able to understand it intellectually, but certainly we're not able to trust in it and live it out without the power of your spirit. And we pray that he would be present among us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And you'll find that on page 846 and 847 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. Begins with Jesus for the third time telling the disciples about his impending death on the cross. Mark writes, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, They began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I hesitate to tell you this story that I'm going to begin with because uh, in seminary, all preachers are told, never tell a story in which you're the hero. Well, I think you'll find that at the end of this story, I'm not really the hero, but when I was in college, I was on a ministry project in Daytona Beach. I lived there for the whole summer. We spent time evangelizing on the beach during the weekends, but during the week we worked our regular day job. My job was to be a maintenance man at a hotel on the Strip. One day I was out painting some cottages that were owned by the hotel, and strangely enough, a man comes jogging through the courtyard holding two bags, and another man following after him yelling, Stop him! Stop him! The second man was wearing a tuxedo, and I thought, This is a very surreal moment for me, I'm not sure what this means. And I just kind of kept painting as I watched them run by. And 
The man who was leading ran around the cottages and then came back through, and the man in the tuxedo yelled to me again, Stop him, stop him, he's stolen something. So as soon as I put my paint roller down, and as soon as the man passed me, I just grabbed him from behind and basically tackled him. We went to the ground, and within five seconds, there were guns pulled at my head, pointed at this man. You see, what this man and two other men had done come up with a scheme where they would steal all the change out of the vending machines at the next door hotel and then get in the car and run away. What they didn't realize is that at that hotel during that week was a policeman's convention. 400 police officers were in the hotel at the time. So it didn't take long for them to catch up with him. And as I saw, there were what seemed to be tens of police officers around me with guns pulled, and they quickly handcuffed him and whisked him away. I didn't really tell anybody about it when I got back uh, to the place that I was living except for my roommate uh, who was studying to go into law enforcement. I thought, well, he'll think this is an interesting story. So I told him about it, and the next day he was reading the paper and found that the story was in there. And it was very brief, and he said, Here's the story, but it doesn't say anything about you. And I looked at the story and I read it, and my first thought was, well, what about me? Where's my recognition? I'm the one that actually brought him to the ground. We all want recognition in life, don't we? The things that we do, we want to be noticed for them. Jesus promised, if you remember from last week, that the disciples who leave everything to follow him will be rewarded both in this life and in the life to come. He tells them that, and now they've come to him expecting much, that they would be rewarded much for their sacrifice. They're on the way to Jerusalem. Actually, Luke tells us that while they're on the road to Jerusalem, that the disciples were expecting that the kingdom of God were, was to appear very quickly. And so their thought at least for James and John at the moment, was the kingdom of God is about to come. Let's stake our claim now. We've given up everything to follow Jesus. He'll reward us with a seat in his kingdom. And so that's why they come to him asking for this particular request. Now there's four things I want to point out from this text. The first is this, that within each one of us is the desire for greatness. The desire for greatness lies within all of us. We're told here in verse 35 that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now there's a way to address Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. They're seeking honor. They're seeking a position of power, a position of privilege and prestige. These men are not nicknamed sons of thunder for nothing. They're very bold and brash, and they come to Jesus asking that he would give them exactly what they want. They want greatness. Now, the desire for greatness is something that is within each one of us. And it's not necessarily a sinful desire. 
We've all been made in the image of God. Psalm 8 tells us that we've been crowned with glory and honor. Why wouldn't we want to pursue greatness on the Lord's behalf? He's given us gifts. He's given us talents and abilities. And He's given us dominion over the creatures and over all the world. And He said, now go into the world and pursue nobility and greatness and beauty. Fashion this world on my behalf and glorify me by the way in which you use the gifts that I give to you. And so the pursuit of greatness is not necessarily the wrong thing. People specialize in particular areas. I remember growing up thinking, I wish that I had a talent in one area, a great talent. Because I've always seen myself as a jack of all trades and master of nothing and envied people who were great at one thing. And some people specialize in that thing. And maybe they even know from the time that they're a child exactly what they're going to do in life. Maybe you're like that or maybe you're like me where you have to flounder around for a while before the Lord shows you exactly where you want to go. But to aspire the best, to be the best, or at least to be as good as you can be, given all that God has given to you, is a noble thing, as long as the goal is to serve God, to serve His kingdom, and to bless the people that He's put around us. But you see, that noble desire is twisted and perverted by sin, isn't it? Adam and Eve gave up, in one sense, part of that nobility. We're still made in the image of God, but it's corrupted. It's spoken of as a fallen, we're spoken of as a fallen ruin where you can still, still see the beauty and the glory, but you also see the cracks and the crumbling stones. And because of that, because we've forsaken the nobility that God has put upon us, we've had to go seek it for ourselves. And that's exactly what's taking place here. And this is nothing new for the disciples. You remember back in chapter 9, right after Jesus had told them that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, what was the question that they argued with? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And here, once again, they're arguing, or excuse me, uh, asking that they would be the greatest in the kingdom, aside from Jesus. And the rest of the disciples get wind of this. Verse 41, we're told that the other ten heard of it. They began to be indignant at James and John. Don't try to go get what you think you deserve and leave us out who do you think you are we're the greatest they want a position too you see when we have forsaken the nobility of being made in god's image and we want to pursue our own greatness rather than greatness in his kingdom so that's the first thing the desire in everyone's heart for greatness but secondly this the pursuit of greatness comes with cost that we do not see. It comes with costs that we do not see. Jesus responds to them in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus went on to respond to them by saying, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. The cup here is the cup 
of judgment. Christ will receive that cup on the cross and He will drink it all the way down to show that the wrath of God has been extinguished. He's taken all of it upon Himself. He's been baptized with fire upon the cross. He asked the disciples, can you receive that too? Oh, we can, they say. And Jesus says, you will, my friends. James was one of the earliest martyrs in the church. John, though he was not martyred, as Jesus foretold in John chapter 21, was actually exiled to the island of Patmos. They both received this cup. But before examining Jesus' words, what will this mean for me? What will this cost me? They very quickly say, we can. We can do this. We can do all that you ask, Jesus. Just give us this position. They were very naive, weren't they? And very sure of themselves. And it wouldn't be but a couple of weeks later when all the Roman soldiers showed up arrest Jesus that they would flee and be nowhere to be found we can do it we can do just what you ask of us Jesus you know when you first become a Christian you don't know what all the costs are you don't know what it's going to be like to follow Christ and actually Jesus if you look at the way that he preaches the gospel in the gospel accounts he actually makes it difficult for people to come into the kingdom Count the costs, he says. Don't make a very quick decision. Know what you're getting into. We don't always understand what we're getting into. And we think that it will be the easy life. And the kingdom of God is anything but the easy life. When times get difficult, we wonder, where's the reward? That's why they said to Jesus, give us What we ask of you. Grant us everything that we want from you. At times we're like the rich young ruler. And like the disciples here previously in chapter 10. Who wanted to know what can we expect. Having given everything in service to you Jesus. And oftentimes we expect much for very little. I was reading in World Magazine. A little article there. Where. A woman in Britain had sent an advertisement to a government listing agency. She was looking for an employee. So she sent off her advertisement. A little while later, she received a response saying, We cannot list your advertisement because your advertisement asks for reliable and hardworking people. And that's a discrimination against unreliable and unhardworking people. And that's where we've come to in our particular culture, this postmodern culture where we have landed, at least for the time being. Is that everybody, even unreliable and unhardworking people, deserve something? We think we deserve a lot for a little. As Christians, we want to live for God, but that desire often comes in conflict with the fact that we want our own greatness. Galatians 5 says that those desires are at war within us. We want to do what is right, what is honoring to God, and yet at the same time, we want our own greatness in life. Service sounds great. Sometimes it sounds very romantic. 
especially when it's something like going to some other place in the world to serve on a mission trip. That sounds so romantic and noble. Sometimes we commit ourselves to serve. And then when people come along and say, now remember you said you would be here at such and such a time, at such and such a day, and we realize, oops, we're overcommitted. I've got too many things. And we don't show up. Because we haven't counted the costs ahead of time. We make promises like that. Or maybe it's something simple like enjoying a wonderful meal together around the table as a family. And the dinner was delicious. You've had your fill. You sit back in your chair and you're enjoying it. And then all of a sudden you look around at all the pots and pans and the dishes that need to be cleaned up. And pretty soon siblings need to run off and do homework and they're nowhere to be found. Dad needs to check on something in the garage and he's not sure exactly what he needs to check on, but there may be something there because we're not really interested in serving. But you see, the real problem here is that it's not that the costs are too great. It's that our understanding of what greatness is, is upside down. Jesus goes on to say that he wants to instruct the disciples here who are arguing with one another. And the third point is this, is that worldly greatness is simply the desire for privilege. Verse 42, Jesus says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus says, you know this. This is the way in which the world works. This is no surprise to anyone. To seek a great position. The hope of supremacy. The desire to be in a place of privilege. To be over other people. In the ancient world, greatness was measured by the number of servants. And the number of slaves that one person had underneath them, not about the amount of service that they give. You know, I think the model of greatness in America right now is this. Work hard, be consumed with your own self, amass a lot of wealth, retire early so that then you can spend more time on yourself, enjoying yourself. That's the ethic that we have in our culture today. Greatness is all about what can I get for myself. Children are groomed to think this way from very young. What what are you going to pursue in life? Sacrifice everything to get it. Pursue it at all costs. Train yourself to be selfish. Show yourself to be self-absorbed. You know, the TV commercials sound good when they tell us about these things. But they're a lie. They're a mirage. Because you see the greatness here that the Gentiles have. This this power over people. It's a power that goes away. At the end of their brief life it is gone. And what are they left with? Not greatness in the kingdom of God. Greatness that lasts forever and ever. But they have nothing. That's Jesus' warning here. The Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Not so with you. You see, the desire here is simply for privilege. To get what we want. Maybe it's to garner respect. We serve to garner respect from people. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a friend. 
Maybe it's students who serve well just to get their teacher to pat them on the back. Sometimes pastors serve congregations just to get the congregation's approval. Sometimes we do it just to get close to people so that we can get something from them. Maybe it's the opportunity of a job. Whatever it is, it's the selfish desire to gain some form of privilege. The way of worldly greatness is to seek this kind of power. But as Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. The fourth point is this. True greatness. True greatness means serving like Jesus serves. What he concludes with in his little lesson to the disciples, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who is great serves in the kingdom of God. And notice the progression here. He speaks of, first of all, servants. Second of all, he speaks of slaves who were beneath servants. And then finally, he speaks of himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not just to be a slave, but to completely give everything away. Even his own life. Jesus is saying, don't just be satisfied with a little bit of service. If you want to know me, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you must serve like I serve and give your whole self away. Jesus had told the disciples, no servant is greater than his master. And if we want to be great in his kingdom, then we have to be like him. Because greatness is not like achieving some medal. Like in the Olympics where you win the 100 meter sprint. And you receive a medal that can never be taken from you. You've served once. It's like a medal that can't be taken from you. That's not greatness in the kingdom of God. It's a life of continual service. Like Jesus continually serves. That's why he came. Not to be served. But to serve to spend yourself for the kingdom of God and to bless other people. I was washing uh, some cars this weekend and uh, doing so with my children. We had fun time spraying each other. and I think we got as much soap and water on each other as we did on the cars. And We hadn't done that in a long time. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, probably most people don't do this anymore. We have automated car washes that we go to. We don't really spend time on a Saturday afternoon washing our own cars. There are a lot of automated things in life now, aren't there? And some of those things we actually need because life is so busy. We, we have automated bill paying online. We don't have to worry about paying that monthly mortgage payment anymore. It just simply does it for us. In some ways, that's a blessing. We have pool vacuums that you just set in the water and they vacuum the pool for you. We have cars that park themselves now. And in a way, it just seems to us that a lot of things are automated and we have this expectation. Things will just get done. Things will just get done. We don't have to worry about them. There was a study done, I think, in New York City of people who heard screams of help and no one ever came because people always assume someone else will do it. It'll just get done somehow. Sometimes we 
have that same approach to service. Sometimes even in the church we see people, you may know people, who expect that the church will raise their children. Who expect that the church will go visit the sick. Who expect that the church will write notes of encouragement. But who's the church? We're the church. We all are the church. Things don't just get done. They get done because people are willing to serve. And serve like Christ served. See that kind of mentality of thinking it'll just get done. Is like the Gentiles who are seeking a position for themselves. A position of their own privilege. But we're a church which means that we're a working church. Christ has given gifts to us that we might use our gifts to serve one another, to serve His kingdom, to serve the community. And that's the life that He's calling us to live. What we need to ask ourselves is what can we do? What can we do to serve? It may just be a note of encouragement to somebody who needs it. It may be all that you can do. But that's greatness. In the kingdom of God. Jesus here serves because he is a servant. It is the essence of God's character to be a servant. To bless the Trinity, the Godhead, and to bless his own people. To serve those that he takes pleasure in. I think it's one of the reasons why this, uh, really why sin even, is so despicable to God because he's given so much he served us in so many different ways and then we're like the disciples who aren't satisfied and we come to Jesus saying teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask serve us serve us more you know the context here Jesus has just said see we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and crucify him. That's what Jesus is going to do to serve. And they're asking, serve us more. Do more for us, Jesus. We expect that you will do more. I think here as a matter of faith, do we want to believe Jesus? That greatness in the kingdom of God, eternal greatness, is a matter of giving your life away in service to the kingdom of God. If we really believe that, if we really believe that, then we wouldn't serve expecting a reward. And be like the other disciples here. Some of you serve greatly. And sometimes when we serve, we wonder, where's my reward? Who's going to notice me? Why aren't other people joining me? And that's exactly what the disciples thought when they were indignant in James, at James and John. How dare you go get what is coming to me? Others of us don't believe it. And we continue to serve ourselves. And we've got this understanding of what greatness is in the kingdom of God flip-flopped and turned upside down. Because greatness is about serving as Jesus did. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is that what you've received from Christ? Has he served you that way, given his whole life for you, been punished for you? If so, he says, follow me.
into my kingdom and become like me, and I'll make you great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we are often tired and weary of serving. Times we just don't want to do it. We pray for your strength. We pray that you would remove from us the same desire that was in the hearts of the disciples, wanting a place of privilege. That you would give us the strength and the grace to give ourselves away, to trust that that is where eternal greatness lies. In Jesus' kingdom, with the greatest one that there is, King Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.